Hi, everybody, and welcome to Photographer's Coffee Morning. This week, we have something a little bit different going on. We have Cody and Austin from Good Light Presets Company, and we're going to be talking about how they got to where they are today. We're going to look a little bit into the history of Good Light and who they're targeted at, what these presets are for, and how to get the best out of them. So with that said, Cody and Austin, welcome to the podcast. Hey, man. Thank you. For anybody not familiar with you guys, um, do you want to just give people a little bit of history and let them know like how you got into the industry, what made you decide to start on Good Light, and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. So my history is sort of boring. I got into photography when I was like 14 and 15 years old, and I have just never stopped doing photography for my whole life. So um started in high school and um, you know, started doing wedding photography just to make extra money. Uh, very briefly went to college um, for two months and then dropped out and just started doing weddings from the time I was 19. And now I'm 36. Um, so that's my history. And uh, yeah, just just a wedding photographer my whole life. That is the most abridged history I think I've ever heard. <laughs> You've gone from like birth photography, three weeks of college, and then straight back to photography again, and then now. But for any anybody that doesn't know, I'm going to do a little bit of talking up for you. Like Austin's work is absolutely stunning. If you want to check him out while you're listening to this podcast, as long as you're not driving, just 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 to kind of put that out there again. His Instagram handle handle is Trenholm Photo T R E N H O L M Photo, and I'll put a link in the show notes. So feel free to check that out while we're talking. Um, and Cody, do you want to introduce yourself as well so we can kind of get a bit of a feel for who you are and where you've come from? Yeah, I'm Cody. Um, my photography company is Hunter Ryan Photo, and um, we've been uh, shooting weddings full-time for uh, at least 12, 12 years, I'd say. Um, but I've done uh, way too many things to to list on this <laughs> before that. I think, <laughs> as Austin might know, um, but I think I've always had a camera in hand, um, big time in my family. My, my grandpa was an astronomer and, um, worked on the Hubble telescope and the Voyager telescope. And, uh, he's gone now. And he was a, he was a astronomy for professor also. And it took me a long time to even realize that he was a photographer of the stars. Um, but yeah, pretty neat. And then we ended up in weddings pretty much, um, on accident, but, um, yeah, it's been a long time. It's been amazing and it's been a cool journey and we've traveled all over the place and shot weddings and yeah. And then, uh, a few years ago we started good light. I think Cody's in witness protection program. He's had so many jobs and he's moved <laughs> so many times. I think he's secretly some kind of a spy or something. <laughs> that would explain his insane tech skills i'm not gonna lie like it, 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 all the people that i've ever spoken to he's the he's the only person that can get on my nerdy level it's it's like there's not many forget the forget the tech skills there's the there's the building skills there's the firearm skills there's the hunt there's the camping skills he's he's definitely something weird about cody i don't know what it is <laughs> i think he just practiced his american accent he's actually james bond that's all it is <laughs> but with with that said, for for anybody trying to follow along, like um in in terms of following the work and seeing what Cody's like body of work looks like, his Instagram handle is Hunter Ryan Photo. So feel free to take a look at that again while we're chatting. As much as I hate to say it, because your work is stunning and you both have a really distinctive voice, that isn't really what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about basically your brainchild, good like presets. Now, for those that don't know. 
I have been teaching workflow and color correction for around about a year now, and obviously for a long time before that informally. But very often, we end up landing on your presets and profiles. Like photographers from all over the world working in completely different conditions um, that have massively divergent styles. They all seem to kind of gravitate towards the way that good light works. But for me, I'm really interested in finding out what led you to start this? Like, what made you decide that, you know what, we need another preset company in the world? Like, what made you think you had something unique to add to this this game? And obviously, it's been massively successful, but what led you to dipping your toe into the water? The way that you um, phrased it is the, how we both thought for a long time. We thought to ourselves, "Does do we really need another preset company? And for a long time, even though people would ask us um, if we make presets or if we're going to release something or even if we ourselves were like man we should make something because we're not happy with what's available that was always the block because there's just so many preset companies and it's sort of a cliche and it still it still is to be honest with you but i think that um combined with like a couple of epiphanies and sort of cody cody definitely when he gets interested in something he just like dives really deep into it which is great because i don't um but Basically, I think one day, Cody and I were both, we watched a video. I think we watched a, like a film, a wedding film or, or a YouTube video. I can't remember. And I, and he both said, why, how come this person who's shooting um, a video format that isn't raw and is just sort of like a dumb format can get a better film look than we can get with our raw footage, like our raw files. And then that led us down the LUT path and figuring all that out well it led cody down that lut path and figuring all that out and then one day cody told me he thought he could make something really good and so we did yeah basically when when uh when adobe came out with profiles when when what year was that 18 2018 i think yeah when they came out with the with profiles that was a that was the big moment that was like okay what is this what can we do with this? Will they open it up? Or do we have access to profiles? Um, right in the beginning, it was quite unknown what the potential would be. But when that came out, because we had, we had both used basically every type of preset uh, you can think of. And we'd always been tweaking stuff, always messing with stuff, trying to get the best look. And when that profile thing came out, it was like, what is this? What can we do with this? So I dove into it, started looking into it, called up Austin and I said, Hey man, let's look into this because my main thing was I didn't want to do anything that was slider based because in Lightroom, if you just build everything on sliders, there's only so much you can do. And a big piece of it back then was, um, well, it just, it, it wasn't that granular. So when profiles came up, <clears throat> came out and opened up just a whole new avenue, I said, hey, let's see if we can do something with this because I don't want to make anything that's even anything close to anything else. Um, and so we dove into it, started looking into it. And uh, that's that's how it happened, basically. It just was, it, it came out of, um, it, it basically came out of those profiles. That makes perfect sense. And like you said, you took a look-based approach to it. So rather than thinking, I need to use the HSL panel, which like only affects the whole color range, you could do things like choose just the shadow areas when they appear as this level of green, 
it should now remap to slightly brighter green or a slightly darker green or like you can make hugely granular controls and like they call them like 4d LUTs, don't they when they've got like lots and lots of different variations and you can remap and move things and one of the, the reasons why i do so frequently recommend good light is because a lot of the preset methods will use up lightroom's control just to get you base level look when actually what you really want, especially as somebody working in the wedding industry or events or documentary, is more room to correct things later. And by shifting that focus from every other panel in Lightroom to the profile, it means that you can do a lot of the heavy lifting without having to take away your ability to correct later. So you can do things like maybe make the greens a little bit less saturated later on because you've not taken all the saturation out just to get your base level look. It was a really innovative approach. That's that's what tipped me over the edge of deciding, okay, I think the world could use one more preset company. <laughs> um and and it like it's it is one of those things where we both are and still are and, and were when we made this company very busy full time wedding photographers. So it was very daunting to say, okay, we're gonna start this entire side project that now takes up quite a bit of time. Uh, but I'm so glad that we did because in the beginning it was like, oh, it's a preset company. I'm not sure if we want to do this. And then Cody showed me something that was really good. And I was like, okay, this is different. Let's try it. And um, and now we're like, I like we were talking about earlier. I'm now I'm constantly like, okay, now what more can we do? What more can we do? What more can we do? Um, it's really fun. And I can see why. Like, honestly, when you say another preset company, that, that was definitely not meant to diminish what you're doing. It is a massively impressive and for me like i wanted to kind of get a bit of an idea of where where good light started and the progression you've gone through as a company in, in the kind of packs that you're releasing because unlike a lot of companies you're not getting rid of older products as, as you kind of move on you're leaving them available to people um you're one of the few profile manufacturers that seems to have a product that works incredibly well with basically every camera brand and that's for all the way from pack one to your most recent release which is pack five um and I wanted to talk a little bit more about how somebody coming into the Good Light kind of website would approach choosing a profile pack. Like, how would you recommend somebody look at each one? Um, if you wanted to start with pack one and then work through in sequence, you can. If you have a personal favorite, I'd love to hear about that too. It all began in a uh, in a parking lot buying a breakfast sandwich. <laughs> it did. It did. Uh, it did. It did. <laughs> It did. We shot film. So pack one is based on Fuji 400H and it was, um, it, yeah, completely based on, on Fuji and it was the beginning. Um, I think that we did update pack one a little bit, but it's been a little while. A lot of people still use it and, and kill it. I think that, um, I mean, I used pack one for many years Pack two is black and white, and it's based on multiple different uh, black and white film stocks. And then um, pack three is based on Kodak Ektar. So we actually shot film and um, and then did a lot of back end processing to to get the look exactly what we wanted. Pack four was with Eric McVeigh, and it's massive. It's a huge. It's an all in one. Um, it's 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 a it's an amazing amazing pack, and then pack five is Austin's uh, Austin's 
beauty and it's all I've been using for, um, my, <laughs> since we came out with it too. So yeah, every time when we think that we can't do something else and then, and then come up with something else, it's, it ends up being all that I use, you know, going forward. So Austin, you could probably dive a bit deeper into that. It's interesting because like Cody was saying, uh, once we come out with a new pack, we kind of get excited about it and then we start using that nonstop and, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. But then recently I had some, um, branding headshots taken of me that are in a more like, um, commercial style that I wanted. And I ended up editing with pack one again, because pack one has like a very clean, nice, normal, natural look. Um, and that's sort of, I've, I've, Every time I think, oh, I'm not going to use pack one again, eventually I start editing something and I go, oh, I, I guess I don't want everything to look like crazy filmy. Um, I think that like basically when people ask us which pack they should use or what we recommend, like Cody was saying, like pack one is Fuji 400 and we kind of call it the more vanilla pack. Um, I recommend anyone use it for commercial photography, something they want a clean look. Uh, pack two is just black and whites pack three <laughs> pack three is ektar and ektar is just like the wildest film in the world um it's like super difficult to like make a uh one look with ektar so pack three is kind of wild it's all over the place and i recommend that if someone wants something that's like very colorful and lots of color shifts and um, that's like the hardest pack to use quote unquote because ektar itself as a film is one of the craziest films you can send like a scan to five different labs and you'll get like five different looks and there's just like purples and greens everywhere. It's, it's pretty crazy. Uh, pack four is the Eric McVeigh pack, which, uh, Cody was saying it's like the biggest pack. I love pack four is the one I'm most proud of because it was like the one that really, um, set us forth and like really committing to good light. It's very, uh, you know, going and working with Eric for those three days in Oregon was really, really, eye-opening for me like i'm an experienced photographer but then like seeing eric work was like totally mind-blowing um and then making that pack and seeing what other photographers in the industry are doing with it i think that's like probably the thing i'm most proud of with good light um we look at our feed and we see everyone posting with pack four it's just like i feel really really good and then pack five like i got bored and i bought a film camera i bought, I bought a fuji class film camera just for no reason. It's like this teeny little fun camera. And um, I just bought it because I was bored and shot a few rolls of like Kodak Gold and Ultra Max. And then like liked the way those film scans looked. And I started tweaking with stuff. And I, I messaged Cody. I was like, hey, I think I, I think I made a new <laughs> preset that we can use. And uh, and uh, Cody was I was like, go away. Like, I don't I don't even want to talk yeah. about it. I don't even want <laughs> It was like in the and middle like, of no, I crazy think... season. I'm like, nope, nope. <laughs> yeah. I think I forced him to do it, to make it. Cause I didn't know how to, I just know how to like kind of make it roughly, but he's the one who knows how to like mess with LUTs and things. Um, so I basically like forced him to do it by posting like previews in the good light group and then watching everyone go nuts over them. And I was like, look, see everyone, everyone likes them. Now you have to make them. <laughs> <laughs> and then he made them and it's one of been one of the most successful uh packs and and pack five is um interesting because we've gotten a really great response from it um but it is one of the most heavy-handed packs as far as like when you edit like if you edit specifically like direct flash dance floor wedding photos it gives you that point and shoot film lo-fi colorful look that you get from 
Kodak Gold, which I love, uh, but it's like nothing like the uh, the rest of our packs. So it's kind of interesting that we've moved in this direction. And I, I, I love that description as well, because like, as you said, the, these are all inspired by foam. But one of the things that made me happiest was that you've not you've not kind of compromised the one click approach to get to to kind of make it 100% look like film it's kind of like you've inspired by 400h but you're not going to introduce all the kind of magenta in the highlights that you would normally get to an overpowering degree you're making sure that everything's tempered by good taste i would say so rather than thinking like what is the most clinically accurate version of 400h we could produce you're trying to capture the feeling without compromising on the workflow and for me that has been incredible like i remember that i either bought or you sent me the pack one like way back at the beginning and i absolutely loved that pack and then i remember being shooting one of my last ever weddings in the dominican republic when pack three was in beta and working on those images and being blown away with how how well it balanced the color with ease of use because I wasn't used to shooting in that direct sunlight, that those kind of harsh conditions, and you did such a good job of producing something that evoked a feeling, like made you feel something about the images really quickly, and it never got to the point where it was overpowering. It was never too much. It was always kind of sitting in that pocket of looks like film, but maybe if you put a film scan right next to it, it wouldn't perfectly match, but that didn't matter because most people don't do that. I think people have a misunderstanding of film. I look at it more of a as a raw photo, as in it, it can go any place you want it to go. And so much of the way that we think about film and the and the the look that we have, I think in mind, is lab based. It's lab based. It's scanner preference based, and we have this specific look a lot of times that we want to achieve, and that look came through the industry. And you had specific labs that started to have specific looks. And if you wanted that look of that photographer, you would go to this lab. And I think that people just have a misunderstanding of film in general, that it can go any place that you want it to go. And one thing that we didn't want to do in the beginning is we didn't, and that's also why we didn't name them specific film names, is we didn't want to get stuck in this exact film look. and you know, a lot of times we'll have people post in group and they'll post film and digital side by side and people will say, uh, is it okay that I like the digital better? And we started to see that more and more and more that people started to prefer the digital look. And I think a lot of that came with pack four as well with, with, especially with Eric making a big transition to change the way that he was shooting and shooting wide lenses small apertures and just completely change the look and having a film vibe, but having a very specific look that matched his style. And I think that that's one of the biggest things that we wanted to do with good light is we didn't want to just get stuck in these exact film looks. We wanted a broader, I don't know, unique feel that was its own thing that had the beauty of film, but had its own thing. And that was the biggest goal to us in the beginning. And it's funny because right in the beginning, we didn't even want to market to the wedding industry. Um, thinking back, I mean, this is a long time ago, but we had conversations, Hey, how do we do this and not get stuck in the wedding industry, which is super funny today, but yeah, we didn't want to get stuck in these exact film looks in this exact industry. We wanted to have a, a very broad open look. And I think that that has happened quite a bit. And 
And like Austin was saying a few minutes ago, like I go into the group, I go into these feeds and I'm just like, I just, I quit. Cause the, the, what people have been doing with these, it just blows my mind. I mean, I, it, it, it's crazy. And I don't see myself as the best editor, but what people have been able to do with these tools is it just blows my mind. And it's pretty cool to watch. I definitely agree with what you were saying about the lab-based results that people got used to, especially when we were talking about when Richard Photo Lab was at its height. Everybody wanted that 400H overexposed look. N nobody was particularly trying anything different. And for me as a UK photographer, we lost a lot of our good labs a lot sooner than, than you, you guys did. Um, right now, we only have a handful of film labs that work at a professional level, and the vast majority of them are using Noritsu scanners. So that film look that we're all identifying with is usually Portra 400 or Fuji 400H exposed a certain way, scanned on a Fuji Frontier, and that just doesn't exist here anymore. Like There are some labs that do it, but the way that they're being operated and the volumes they're operating at just does not lend itself to the look that you were used to. So when I saw you guys release Pack 5, that's the look. Like Pack 5 looks an awful lot like the kind of the way that labs are now processing film on these kind of like high volume scanners with more consumer grade film. That Kodak Gold 200 on a Noritsu look is something that's hugely popular right now. And I think for a lot of people out there, it's more important if they are shooting hybrid to be able to match their film to something that has that vibe. So when it, when you're saying to me that Austin had to post it in the group to convince you, like I can see why it's worked because the, the landscape's changed. Like that's that's the reality for a lot of people. Like they can't get Portrait 400 anymore. Their lab isn't scanning the way they used to scan, and as a result, they're having to make a change. And it, it is a growing pain that a lot of people are going through. They don't want to lose the kind of the process that they love in film, but they need to be able to provide a consistent, cohesive product. Um, so that's that's really awesome. And to kind of go back to your point about developing uh, along this, the same lines as Eric making his switch from film to film and digital, could you talk a little bit more about how that process went? Because there's a bit of context. Good Light Pack 4 is one of the only preset packs I've ever seen that instantly translates to like the overcast dull light that we get in the UK. Like in the States, like obviously he's from the Pacific Northwest, but most preset manufacturers trying to ape the film look seem to be solely focused on that kind of California vibe. And I just can't thank you enough for building a product that works in every lighting situation and not just in golden light. Yeah, I'll let, I think Cody's the best one to answer this, but I'll just give a brief little answer. Um, I think that working with Eric and seeing his transition to film was due to a few things and, and Cody can tell like the, the story behind that, but Fuji was like announced to be canceled. So Fuji 400 H was, they were announcing it, that it was over. That was a huge, you know, movement in the industry that affected everyone, including Eric, because that's all he shot. And then um, about the, the overcast comment, we got to Oregon and it was like the most overcast time. And I remember being disappointed initially because I live in Florida and I love bright light. And I don't half the time. I don't know what to do when it's overcast. Um, and then when we got number one, Eric's images from his Fuji GFX and then the scans back and we were able, like you said, to make images. I was like, wow, these are insanely gorgeous. That's when I was like, okay, this is 
going to be huge. But yeah, I'll I'll let Cody tell the story of how that transition occurred. Yeah, I think that uh, it was it was Fuji announcing that they wanted to cancel or that they had planned on canceling 400H that brought this all on with Eric and I called him up and because we had we had talked before like hey let's do something and he uh he was just hesitant on some things and then when that happened i called him up i'm like hey buddy (laughs) let's do something with this and he said okay let's go let's go cody what about um what about hawaii oh yeah so so i shot with him he shot a um so he shot miles teller's wedding in hawaii and i was shooting with him on that and he had to have those wedding those images to vogue that night like he couldn't get the the images to photovision fast enough to get them he I think he had to get them images by like two, three in the morning. So he used good light to get those. And then, and then he got his film back and then he, he ended up matching with his film. So he said that his big thing was he didn't want to get this big feature on Vogue and then not be able to deliver photos to them. That was one of the big things that pushed him more into the, into the digital realms is that he just had to get these images to them quickly. And I think that a lot of uh, the look started to change. Uh, you know, if if we look back just a short time, you couldn't get published on most big blogs, magazines, anything if it wasn't film. And a lot of people shooting hybrid, they just shot hybrid just to get that a little bit of film so that they could say that to whatever pick pick publication. Um, it had to be film, basically. And if it was digital, they just didn't want it. And I can understand that a little bit because, I mean, five, six, seven years ago, digital wasn't that great. And it's finally come to this point in the last five years, four or five years, that I do believe that that has changed, especially with the GFX and then any those cameras um, from that point on. Everything has changed. It's it's a big change. We see a big change in the industry. Yeah. So that's what that's what happened with Eric. The weather was bad, and I'm glad that it was what it was because that did allow us to to develop that look. And I don't know if the I don't know if we would have developed that same type of look if we wouldn't have had those conditions. And the beauty of his pack is like what you said, it does, it, it, um, it likes to be darker. And if I look back at images that I edited seven years ago, I'm like, what the heck? I'm blinded. I'm blinded. I'm like, oh my gosh, how did somebody book me again? Um, but yeah, I think that that's that change in the industry, especially with Eric's look and it's, it's a funny pack. Um, Austin knows this. We developed, I think, 200 and something LUTs with pack four. Cody developed 200 LUTs. <laughs> Him and my wife, Tiffany, and and we've shot together um, forever. She's she's like, Cody, you have to limit, you have to get this down to nine. And I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it. So it was a big thing. It was a big it was a big deal and we had to narrow it down to exactly what he needed, what he wanted in his look. What the, what was the question? Here I am. I'm just rambling. What was it like helping him along the journey to transition to digital was the, the broad question. The story you're telling is great. Like follow that tangent. <laughs> I think that we had to give the tool set for it to happen. So with Eric, I think one of the big things that, so number one, shooting in Hawaii, getting images turned over to Vogue quickly helped him helped convince him and show him that like okay digital can work the gfx which i'm not sure if it was you cody but he got the gfx and either cody or multiple people sort of helped him along the way to figure that out 
And um, as we know, like the files from that camera are like just so wonderful and beautiful and um, and the camera is actually usable as opposed to like other medium format digitals that just for weddings are just not feasible to use. Um, so those two things really helped. Fuji 400 got discontinued, <laughs> which so it was basically like a perfect storm of things to make Eric say, okay, let's make this transition to digital. And um, it was super humbling because I consider myself like, a, I'm a, I really love my own work. I, I love photography. I consider myself very talented, but Eric shot for 10 minutes in Oregon like manually focusing on a GFX and just showed me the back of his camera and the images were like just mind blowingly beautiful. And so then that actually put a lot of pressure on me. I kind of felt after those three days, we came home and we had these beautiful images and I was like, Oh my gosh, we have to make a really good preset <laughs> because like, if we don't, uh, this was a lot of work for nothing. And Eric put in so much effort and like really killed it. And luckily, yeah, I, I didn't really have any doubts, but Cody actually way surpassed any expectation I had for how good the preset was going to look L looking at um, little fine details. And of course, now that we're in this, this, like um, this industry of preset creation, every time I look at images, I look at like the color of shadows, the color of highlights. Like I just look at all these different things combined. Whenever I look at edits, it is a good thing. We had an overcast day in Oregon with Eric, because sometimes you don't get those colors. You don't get, that exact look if you just have like super bright light lots of fill off the ground and everything's even you know what i mean so um the fact that we did have more moody uh light fall off in shadows you know lots of like difficult lighting quote unquote um helped us create something that i think looks really good because now when i go back and i edit with like pack one or pack three specifically pack three like brightness makes the preset look like entirely different if it's a dark image, pack three, you, you pick one. Oh my gosh, like it, it, you can look totally wrong. And then all of a sudden you slide the brightness up and you're like, oh, there it is. Okay. Whereas with pack four, do whatever you want with it and create something beautiful. Yeah. And we shot in multiple different locations. Like the, uh, if, if, if people haven't seen the video of that, it's, I, I still go back and watch it sometimes. I, I love it. The documentary on that whole shoot is, is very cool. And we shot in a lot of conditions. We shot on the, on the water that light, it was low light all day. Uh, we shot in a field. It was low light, completely socked in clouds that whole day. The day before that we went scouting, it was beautiful. It was like blue skies. Now. It was an amazing day. And I'm glad that we didn't have that. It, even when we shot in the studio in his house, uh, no lighting. It was, it was just He has a huge window <laughs> and it was dark. So all the film that we shot, um, that, that pack is based on multiple different film stocks. And all the film that we shot, it all just, um, it all just, it just worked out so good. And yeah, the, the thing about these, these presets too, is because they're LUT based because of the way that they're built, there's luminance factors in this, there's RGB values, there's all kinds of different things built into these LUTs and they change based on luminance. So especially even like pack five, when you increase the the exposure when you edit you see a complete different look so they are basically infinitely variable and the wild thing about these profiles is and, and we've joked about this if we had to go back and rebuild some of this stuff we couldn't they they're basically like fingerprints i could not go back and 
even like M1 in, in Eric's pack, I couldn't go back and do that again. It is a completely unique thing. I, I, I'm not going to get into the specifics of it, but it is totally unique. And if we had to, if we lost everything, if we lost all the cloud backups, if we lost everything, we couldn't make it again. So I love that aspect of it. Um, they're not easily, they're not copyable. We couldn't copy them if we wanted to. Um, I couldn't recreate the same look if I wanted to. And the beauty of that also is I think that it gives people, it also gives photographers that ability to have a unique look because they have infinite variability. And I think that we talked about this a little, a little while ago, Tom, with, um, with the new Panasonic, um, S five two in having the ability to load a lot, a preview lot in, in with the previous generation, the S one, you could load in a preview lot, but it was only for video and it was only a preview lot. Now with the new S five two, which I haven't touched, but I used to shoot Panasonic with the new S five two, you can load in a LUT and you can use it in photo mode. So you can have your own specific look and output a JPEG with that look. And I think that that's going to be the next shift in the industry. I think that it needs to be a shift in the industry that we get back to a point that when you shot, when you shot weddings or anything on film in the, let's say in the eighties and nineties, you didn't sit at a computer and edit all this stuff. You got it back and you sent the files out. And I think that we might get back to the point in the industry that we can output a file out of a camera and in a way, not just like shooting Canon and shooting like portrait or landscape mode or standard mode. We may get to the point soon that we can output a unique JPEG that we don't have to go and play with, that we don't have to go in and edit. And I think that that may be the next big shift in the industry. We'll see. I'm going to go one step further and say that there's something more, more advanced that's already here. Um, because we did have this conversation for definite. And since then I've done more research and actually, um, for those that don't know, again, I've switched to Fujifilm. Um, I use Fujifilm X-H2Ss and I've got a GFX on the desk as well. Um, but the reason I did that is actually because Fujifilm have integrated with a company called Frame.io and it means you can literally take a photograph and it will appear on your computer. So I've built a workflow that would essentially allow me if I wanted to, to take a photograph and open my iPad with an internet connection and have it already edited, like while I'm shooting. Because I think you're right. I think the 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 idea that we should be able to just take the photograph and know exactly every chain of the process that's going to happen to it and be able to shoot in a way that's disciplined enough that you could deliver instantly by having a workflow that's efficient enough that you don't have to do anything on the on the tail end. You might want to be able to adjust the white balance or the exposure, so you might choose not to shoot in JPEG, but there are already tools that exist that make it possible for you to shoot completely on the fly, build a process, and do minimal to no editing and get a final result ready to publish. Um, one of the times we worked together most closely, Cody, was when we were looking at Capture One as a possibility for good light a, a while ago. and. In the end, this hasn't panned out, but it's a Capture One limitation and not nothing to do with good light. It, uh, Capture One has a terrible implementation of color profiles. It's like designed for print and not for like kind of camera calibration. So it is a little bit of a different situation. But um, 
one of the things that struck me there was when I did use um, good light in Capture One, I could shoot tethered to the laptop in a studio situation and then just literally just give it to the client straight away. It didn't need to have anything done to it because I could see the result on the screen as I was shooting and the client could see the result and that was it. Everything was finished. There was no need to do any further work. So I understand what you're saying about the JPEG option and scenes and the unique in the camera, but I think we've already got a more powerful solution that's here. And I just think as we see more and more camera companies adopt this technology, like Sony just announced a feature similar to this for their newest generation of cameras. I think we're going to see a shift away from people spending extensive amounts of time editing at home because I think they're going to realize the efficiency that you can get if you are methodical in your shooting approach and you know the result you want to get. Absolutely. I mean, look at Austin. Austin will post stuff in the group and it's like um, no change in exposure as shot white balance and not a single slider changed. And it's like, okay, that's cheat mode. And yeah, it's... um, I think that's coming. It's coming. It, it, it's, it's with these presets. It's with, uh, the help of new cameras and, um, yeah, it, I think the industry is changing for sure. Have, have either of you, um, seen this photographer in the, he's in one of the GFX groups, I think. So I think we're all in a, a few different Fuji GFX groups, but he shot, it was like London fashion week or something. Um, and it was all GFX with the 50, the 53.5. Is that a lens? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he shot all, um, 53.5 and he shot JPEG and he has his own little Fuji, like he's messed with the, the, you know, profile and he posts all these images and they're like some of the best images I've seen in forever. And it's just like, it goes to show you what's possible now. Are you talking about Simbarash Char? I think so. He he's a New York fashion photographer, and he shoots all. No, I think you're right. I think I think the images that you posted would have been London Fashion Week because he does Milan, uh, London, Paris, basically any anywhere the street style going on. He's he's usually involved, and yeah, exactly that. He's using these um, recipes in his camera to get the JPEGs to look exactly the way he wants. Because for him, it's like you were saying about Eric there is no time like if he if he's going to deliver those images he'll have thousands of photographs to call through and then he just has to publish them and that's it there's no you, you can't also have a color grade going on at the same time that has to happen ahead of time that's like do your research and development get the results out of the camera to where you're pleased with them and then publish um and like i said for me i think that's it's efficient but i think it's efficient not taking advantage of some of the technology we have now um to kind of do this stuff in, in a more kind of like nuanced way later but it's there's no denying that Simbarash's work is incredible incredible and if you haven't seen it again i'll put a link to it in the show notes assuming that's the right person that we're talking about i think it is yeah now if you look at a lot of just like i said before with with that everything had to be filmed not too long ago i would say that we're seeing a complete flip-flop of that even that we're seeing very unique looks on on a lot of publications. We're seeing a lot more variance in the individual shoot. Whereas in the past, when I would edit a wedding, I would have skin tones and luminance and everything be like unbelievably consistent 
from start to finish. And now we even see a huge shift in people's editing styles that you'll see a lot of different looks in the same, in the same shoot, front light, back light, slow shutter, tight aperture, wide open movement, blur. We see a lot of different looks just in individual catalogs. Um, and yeah, I, I like, I like what's happening with all of that. Kind of wanted to ask you the, the inevitable questions about one, about the convergence of stills and video, because I'm on the record as saying that I genuinely do believe that video is the future as more and more people have cameras in their hands that can take incredibly stable, beautiful looking, like powerful footage. And personally, because I've had access to some of the looks that you guys have produced at like to test, and I can see how beautiful the, the good light product looks on video footage. I just wondered how, how you guys felt about that move. Like, do you feel that that is an inevitability, like at the mid range of the market? Do you feel that there's room to kind of make products that cater for both? Because to give you my use case, like I'd literally use good light on any job that I have that I'm hired to shoot video and stills because there is nobody, nobody makes a stills product and a video product that matches as well as yours does. And I'm I'm happy to go on the record as saying that if somebody wants to prove me wrong, I'm ready to be proved wrong. But we did A-B comparisons. There's a YouTube video again, link in the show notes, that shows you just how good good light is on video footage. So with that in mind and knowing the, the value of the product you have, how do you feel about this convergence? Do you think it's something that is going to happen in future or do you think there's going to be a change in the industry? Where do you see video sitting against photo going forward? Tom, what... What you showed me out of that Fuji um, a few weeks ago blew my mind. I think that it's completely possible. I think that it video slightly changes the feel of the client on the other side. I think that the sound of a shutter is important to a degree. I think certain sectors of photography, especially like a completely photojournalistic type, I could see shooting video and that completely working. I think that I don't know. I, I don't know what the feel is going to be on the on the client side of that. Because if I just viewed myself, like let, let's say I go to an engagement shoot, and if I was just shooting video, I don't know if the direction, if the if the feel of the shoot is going to be exactly the same. And and maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe it's completely possible. But when you showed me those files a few weeks ago, I was just it it blew me away. And what, you, what you're saying with being able to use the LUTs with that and matching to photo is it's a huge deal, but I don't know, Austin, what do you think? I mean, we, we both shoot a Z nine now lately and I go back and forth because I'm crazy with the GFX and the Z nine. And, um, I have way too much stuff, but with the Z nine, I mean, I, sh I was shooting an engagement the other day and I shot at 20 something frames a second. And if if I shot that fast the whole time, I would, I would, uh, calling would be a nightmare, but for certain segments, it was, it was very cool. So what do you think about these high speed cameras and video and all that? Yeah, I think that, um, I think that the convergence of video and photo is, has already, has already happened in every other aspect of photography. So with weddings, um, I don't think that the expectation that a photographer will also offer video and vice versa has hit yet, but just like back, you know, tw maybe 20 years ago, it came that if you were a, let's say you were a reporter, you were a newspaper writer, you were a columnist, you were like a correspondent, 
they just kind of started saying, okay, you have to also now take pictures because we don't want to hire a journalist and a photographer. We just want to hire a photojournalist. Like there's almost no such thing as a field journalist anymore. I mean, there are, but now you have to be a photographer and a journalist. And now you have to be a photographer, a journalist, and you have to take video uh, because every feature and every you know article and everything ends up having some photo, some video, and then like the, the, you know, the print. And so I think that's happened and will continue to even more um, happen in the future to the point where like Tom, like you were saying, I don't know if people will consume um, much that isn't video in the future, like things like TikTok, things like Instagram stories um, just capture people's attention so much more. And I think that, yeah, that video is the future. I suspect that with the wedding industry and with portraits and things like that, um, this will, two things will happen. More and more studios will pop up that offer photo video and they'll have a team that does both. And it will be very important to have um, consistent edits between them, them both. And then also this this other thing also occurs where when things become less specialized, I think that then that creates extra ultra specialized markets where there will always be someone who's strictly a photographer, does not do video, maybe shoots even more film. Like maybe in 20 years, there'll be some crazy person who literally is still like, oh, no, I only shoot film. Um, and that's, that's cool. I love that. I love that like those things still occur where um, when the expectation is that everyone does, you know, video and stills, people will still say, nope, I specialize in just this. So I think that both will happen simultaneously. Um, and, you know, from, from a perspective, from my perspective, I can't remember the last time I read a camera review or read through a anything, to be honest with you. Like if I'm interested in something, I'm going to go to YouTube. I'm going to watch the video on it um, because it's just a much more interesting way. Like recipes, when I want to know how to cook something, I never read the recipe. I go watch a YouTube video because someone can actually show me how it works. Um, and I think a similar thing is going to happen. Well, it has already happened with everything else with, with the caveats of in the wedding industry or whatever, there will always be like hyper specialization. Um, but yeah, video, video for sure is it's the future. What you described is essentially how my business works now. Um, I definitely see myself as as more of a photographer. Like I always have been a photographer. Like I bought GFX because I, I like taking photographs and have absolutely no designs on ever using this for video because it's terrible at it. Like no offense, Fiji, but it's not great. Um, but th the point being that when I book a client, if they want to come to me and they want to give me the whole budget, that means I have to cater for video because they're going to need video content. And if I'm going to them and, and pretending to be a solution to their brand problem, which is that people will understand that it's their, their images they're seeing when they come to kind of like interact with their social media accounts or digital signage in store or any of this stuff, it has to have a feel to it and it has to be consistent. Now, that doesn't mean that I have to put my personal stamp on it. It just means that if I'm going to treat the video one way and the stills completely differently, that client is likely to push back because like, well, we, we hired you for your look and this isn't your look, plain and simple. So when I'm considering clients that are asking for both, I might choose to use Goodlight rather than another company's like offering because I know 
110% that those images are going to match those videos. They're going to be flawless. And that for me was, is a determining factor in more jobs than I care to admit. Like when I'm doing stuff like this, like talking to camera, like I have to, I have to record myself. And I think the reality is that for a lot of people, the brand side of their own businesses, their own advertising is going to involve making video of themselves or like publishing video that somebody else has taken of them. And if, if they are people that consider themselves to be strong visually and have a strong visual identity, if it looks completely different, you can end up with a brand disconnect and that's, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Like exactly the same ways we don't expect an iPhone to look like your, your photography. But I think that we're going to see a time come soon where people start thinking that the iPhone is, isn't just authentic. It's just easy. And that kind of more consistent brand experience becomes more important. And it's interesting to hear you both talk about it because what you're basically describing is, as you said, Austin, every other industry outside of weddings has already experienced this. You couldn't do a hospitality shoot and not expect them to want some kind of video content at some stage. You can't build these long-term relationships without knowing that on some level, they're going to have to commission either somebody else for the video piece and you won't get that budget, or they're going to not produce any video content, but they have to have a pretty strong brand reason to do that because it's clear that that's what the social platforms want and what people are consuming. So knowing how important like good color is to you and making sure that you have that consistent feeling between stills and digital, because it, it, obviously it's a core competency. It's how you started the business. Like you mentioned before that you're going to be doing something new for people. So if they have decided to invest in your color presets, your color profiles, they'll have another option. Could you talk a little bit more about what's available for video shooters that also shoot stills? We have pack one, pack three, and pack four available as LUTs. We don't have pack four listed on the site on the LUT page, but if you add pack four to the cart, then you can add the pack four LUTs on as an add-on. So yeah, so as Cody said, we have pack one, pack three, and pack four. One of the things about Cody and I is that we had very little video experience whatsoever before we made these presets. And then um, because of our interest in why video creators were able to make such beautiful film-like edits, we, that's what led us down the LUT path. But even now, we still don't have a lot of video experience. We don't color grade things. Like we're very, um, we're coming at this from a photography standpoint. And most LUT companies are producing something that's very like Peter McKinnon style, like very moody, very like punchy, very whatever you want to call it. Videographers that we know that we're friends with and sort of had discovered that we were making these based around LUTs, asked us, hey, can I get the LUTs? Can I get these? Can we edit video with these? And Cody and I were like, I think so. I don't know. <laughs> you tell us. And so we've kind of, I think you were one of them, Tom. Haven't you helped us with this? I don't know. Yep. And I loved it. It was amazing. So people like you have helped us sort of transition this into a way for uh, video creators to edit. And um, this actually happened the other day. I didn't tell you, Cody, but um, a local videographer here got the LUTs and started editing some video from a wedding we just shot together. And it's hilarious because he goes, this is insane. I just used this LUT at 75% and this is what it looks like. And it looks just like the stills that I was producing, you know, from that same wedding. And I didn't realize what a big deal that was. And as you're saying, Tom, I, it is a big deal for someone who, especially when wedding video oftentimes is, I don't want to call it an afterthought, but it's usually picked down the line like from a bride and groom's perspective or a, a bride, and, you know, like just someone who's hiring a, um, a wedding professional, 
video oftentimes comes like third. Sometimes it's like, it's like venue photographer band or DJ, and then video is sort of like considered. And so it's not that they don't care about the videographer or their art form, but oftentimes they're hiring a, a photographer with that aesthetic in their mind. And when they get a video that, that it maybe is beautiful, but just is so far departed from those photos, it can leave the, the client um, a little confused or disappointed or just like the, the expectations don't align. And so if you're a wedding videographer and you want to match the overall wedding aesthetic, I think our presets were one of the first and are some of the only ones that you can do that with. Um, and, you know, part of that is the technology converging. You know, profiles and LUTs interact with each other. These cameras now are all the same cameras. We're shooting with the same cameras, whether it's stills or video. Um, and and now it allows us to do that. And so, you know, from 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 a creative standpoint, we, you know, when we the the few times we have to make videos for commercials and we like launch new products and we have Black Friday sales, I went, you know, as, as no experience whatsoever. <laughs> I went into a field with a model. We did a quick little video shoot. I made a 30 second ad. I cut it together in Final Cut and threw one of our LUTs on it at like 65% and sent it to Cody. And that's all I did. And he was like, this is perfect. I was like, I, yeah, this is, I was like, wow, this video thing really is. <laughs> it's, it, part of me was like, this is easy. And then part of me was like, actually, this is way harder. <laughs> but it was nice to that someone like me with no experience could make the video match everything else I was doing. So I do think that you kind of come in at the right time too, though, because you've not known the pain of having to edit like eight bit footage and like try and make it stretch. It's like, imagine the worst exposed JPEG you've ever seen. And that's basically what you had to, to start with like until recently. And what Cody was referring to earlier when he said, oh, the footage you showed me. So on the Fuji X-H2S, it, it captures the whole census. It's a 3-2 image in 6K. And it does it in with like 15 stops of dynamic range. So what I'd done was I'd used good light to color grade to match some stills I'd done on a test shoot and over sharpened it a little bit for video. And then I sent him a screenshot and he thought it was a still like it's that, that simple, yeah. like viewed a hundred percent one-to-one detail. The grain was the same. The sharpness was the same. The color was the same. Mm. I have never never experienced that with any other product and there's nothing like it and to say that that's revolutionary is an understatement and you guys are shooting with the nikon uh, z7 or z7 which have sorry z9 or z9 which have one you want to say you you guys have got a camera that's a bit of a unicorn because nikon is literally getting sued by red right now like, because they broke red's patent like red has this industry on lockdown um, but the outcome of that case might mean that every camera can have compressed raw video going forward. And if that happens, like there's going to be a, like a, a quantum shift in the industry. You don't have to worry about frame rate anymore because if your camera can shoot 60 frames a second on video, you've got 60 raw files every second. Yeah. Like it, it's just, it, it's it's going to change things. And like you said, Austin, I think it's going to come down to eventually how good are your color processing skills? How good is your sense of a moment? And is there a way you could do something significantly different by not using those tools and doing something else? Um, 
and it's just going to be a reality of, of the industry in the future. And for me, I'm trying to kind of follow up with educational offerings that help photographers to get from not really knowing how to process their images to knowing how, exactly what they want to say with their photographs and then working out how they can say it with video as well and keep things consistent. Because the other thing that we kind of wanted to talk about, and I'm not sure if we have time today, so this may be a topic for another day, was AI and its role in the editing process going forward. Um, like obviously, we're running up to like an hour at this point. So if you guys have got time, we can talk about it. If not, don't worry about it. We'll we'll do it another time. But I think that's also a really interesting piece because I think in the future, the, the differentiating factor is going to be somebody's taste and ability to understand what is and is not their brand will matter far more than any kind of specific piece of technical knowledge. But you're going to need to know how to evaluate your work and how to adjust it to get the results you want, whether you're using AI or just doing it by hand. So yeah, I just wanted to thank you both for being at the forefront of that too. I think so much is about to shift in the industry. And I think that a lot is shifting in a lot of industries where for the past multiple years, we haven't needed compute power to increase as much as we did in the past. We're seeing compute power not change that much, and we don't need it as much. The new iPhone comes out, the new iPad comes out, the new anything comes out, and it's changing so minutely in the broad sense that we don't need the compute power as much anymore. Um, we see many years ago, we see, oh, we need storage space. We need storage. We need storage because what do we do? We all held on to music. We all ripped DVDs. I mean, we're all a little bit older. And I mean, I used to have Napster. I used to have like just massive amounts of storage, just hard drives stacked up with movies and, and music and all this stuff. Well, what do we say now? What do we see now? We don't need storage space. It's all in the cloud. We only watch video. We don't even need the compute power. And now we see AI starting to take place. And AI is going to be a huge shift. We're going to see it in, in every industry. And we see ChatGPT happening. We see OpenAI. We see even Bing, Microsoft is changing its whole search engine to now use a, a chat GPT type model. And it's going to disrupt truth. It's going to disrupt all kinds of things. It's going to disrupt a lot of industries. And I was listen, listening to a pod the other day that was talking about um, replacing employees, uh, the AI, how AI will re replace employees. And it can't replace an employee until it can replace that employee at hundred percent. And we are about to see that happen in editing, in all kinds of different things in this industry. And I think being ahead of that is going to be a big thing. And it's it's funny to me to look at even camera manufacturers. And you look at these phones that we have that that combine 20 frames on each frame to and, and then use AI models and all kinds of different things to make amazing photos. And you look at Sony, Panasonic. Fuji, Canon, who else we got? Pentax, if Pentax is still chilling. Nikon, did I not say Nikon? Like, you guys, who's going to do this? You know? Who is going to be the big... And it seems like it's so funny because it seems like Fuji is the, is one of the only ones that's that's really pushing things. When you think that it might be Sony or, you know, 
it's who is going to go in and shift this industry and put the compute power into these professional cameras so that they'll completely shift the industry and whoever does that first to output a file that you don't have to touch it's going to be a huge thing and you see phones obviously taking over most um most sectors of photography and if these camera companies don't step up and make some big changes i don't know i don't know what's going to happen but somebody needs to yeah i i think that um with with regard to ai um you know we recently started editing with some ai i did some tests and i got a wedding edited in 30 minutes and it was like nearly perfect which is crazy um and that really opened my eyes to what the future is. But what I also, what it made me realize is that the AI is only as good as what you give it, right? And so I already have a very um, good, consistent edit workflow. So for me to have AI trained on how I edit, it was easy because as Cody was saying, <laughs> I don't do much. So, you know, I feed an AI thousands of images where it's just my profile and exposure and white balance adjusted correctly the way I want it to. Learned it quickly, easy, done. I think that, like you said, Tom, so the the big challenge for people in the future is going to be deciding what to feed the AI, right? Deciding what the AI is going to do for you. And on top of that, I, I, I'm going to stress that again, like lighter for people at the back. You make so few changes to your images <laughs> because you shoot incredibly tight. Like the, the, you know exactly what you want to achieve. You've honed your equipment to the point where you can do it in any situation that you ever shoot in. And if you're adjusting anything, it's minor adjustments to kind of make something conform to what you did in camera. And that ultimately, if every photographer could go into like use a service, like, I don't know, like um, impossible things or imagine AI or like narrative, if like, if they're, if theirs ends up being like a, a big thing, um, and use any of those services and kind of just give it a book that's as tightly edited as yours with as concise an idea of what they want to say, there's absolutely no issue with AI as far as I'm concerned. The only worries then become, did you previously hire an editor? Are you putting somebody out of a job? But that's definitely more of a kind of a social issue and not so much of an actual results-based one. And the issue comes in for photographers that are not in a position where they have a developed idea of what they want to say or who their audience is or who they're talking to. And then they try and use AI and their style becomes what the AI gives to them. Or we end up in the same situation we had in the film days where if you want to be a fine art wedding photographer, buy a contact 645, shoot 400H, two or three stops overexposed and send it to Richard's photo lab. Like you end up with an issue where you've got like a homogenous offering and then your clients will have more of an issue picking your work out from a lineup because you're not saying it with any level of authenticity. Like the, the AI that's editing your work will be editing every other photographer's work. So the yeah. quality of your input and providing it with that really strict idea of like, this is what I mean to people, this is what my work should mean to people, is going to become far more important it's a, i really love that you kind of brought that out as well because for me uh, my my opinion on it's changed a lot and i still have a problem with the social side of it like i do think it's a shame that essentially that for a large portion of the market this could put 
editors out of a job, or it could be a situation where an industry sector that's been pretty thriving up to now is going to be forced to improve or to change. And I also think it's a shame that the, there's a consolidation of wealth that's going to happen as well. Um, but those are nothing to do with the end result. And I'm really excited for where the actual results are going to go. I think a lot of stuff is inevitable. It's one of those things where I see major problems, like you said, Tom, about like editing. Like Cody and I immediately were like, well, editors are going to either be put out of the job or something's going to happen. But I'm also optimistic in that hopefully people will become um, creative in the ways that they use AI. Um, so for instance, I already know of a few editors who are using AI to edit clients' photos because like you were saying, Tom, maybe those clients haven't honed their, you know, their style yet. Maybe they haven't been able to feed AI a look that gets them back what they want, but somebody else who's an editor has. And so there are editors already using AI to um, work for clients and sort of uh, make it work for them. I'm really, really hopeful that, you know, people might get these tools and then it'll hopefully create new jobs. Um, I'm hopeful on the outside. I'm pessimistic on the ins on the inside. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I see I see a lot of problems. But um, but th yeah, the the problem only becomes when the wealth divide becomes so great. I mean, if we can just um, pull money and resources out of thin air because of AI, um, hopefully that can you know, spread throughout the world and sort of help us just all, um, uh, do, do better and prosper more. But, um, uh, but yeah, also doesn't seem to be happening that way. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple movies about these topics. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then he took my boots, my motorcycle. Yeah. Wait, what? Uh... Oh, sorry, it was a Terminator reference. Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. talking about Skynet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Skynet goes live. Yeah, I know. But with all that said, guys, like, we've been running for, like, over an hour, and we've ended on, like, a very doomful <laughs> note. So maybe we should kind of switch up to something a little bit more positive and then, like, wrap up a I little think, bit just to let you guys get back to your family. I think the exciting thing that I'm seeing right now is we're, even though, like, what you just said, tight. I like that word tight, that, that things will tighten up in a way. What I'm also seeing, though, is creativity is blossoming. I'm seeing so many different types of styles emerging. And I mean, I can go through the Instagram Explore feed and I'm just like, what the heck? Like, good light. I'm just seeing this look change. And I'm seeing a lot of things, a lot of creativity and a lot of variance. Even though that we could, we could look at AI as bringing down variance, I'm seeing things open up and becoming more variable and I'm seeing um, more creativity and more unique looks coming out of people that we haven't seen in the past multiple years. And I think that that's the exciting thing is you're going to see a broadening in a way of creativity. Um, and I think that's the exciting thing to me. And I think that that's, what we plan on staying ahead of, especially with this AI um, and giving people the tools really to stay authentic and to stay in a new, you know, in a blossoming form of creativity. And I think that that's a, that's a big deal. I think you're right. And, and again, like you said, it, it's another job that you don't have to do. And especially at the, the, the kind of entry level of the market, once you have an established style, 
it means you can be more aggressive pricing wise customers can benefit where you can get more time and you can work more volume in, in the jobs that you're doing um there's a lot of positives to come with it and again any hesitance i've got the more i learn about it the less hesitant i get largely because of what austin said it's never going to replace the creativity it's just another tool in the quiver that you're going to have to learn how to use and and how to implement effectively but with that said, guys, like thank you very much for volunteering so much time to chat with me. I massively appreciate it. And just to kind of finish off, did you guys want to give us a quick uh, a quick outro and just kind of let everybody know where they can contact you, where to find out more information about Good Light, and any follow ups if they want to know more? If you want to learn more about Good Light, you can go to goodlightpresets.com. Um, you can reach out to me individually at Trend Home Photo on my Instagram. You can definitely message me there with questions about Good Light. Oftentimes, um, I'll get to your questions quicker if you do it that way. Um, also, posting in the Facebook group is one of the fastest way to get in answers and information about Good Light presets. Again, Cody and I are uh, really busy full-time traveling photographers on top of all this, which is um, you know, pretty daunting. But, uh, but if you want information, the Facebook group is great because not only can uh, Cody and I answer your questions there, there's lots of people who already have the answers even before maybe we've we've seen them. Um, so I encourage everyone to go check that out. And then um, we're going to give Tom, if he doesn't already have it, the link to the doc we made uh, with Eric. Because, yeah, Cody reminded me that that exists. And it's just like such a fun watch that really gives you uh, insight into our personalities and who we are. I love that video too. That'll definitely be linked in the show notes below. And if you want to check it out on the website, it'll be embedded in the page along with the podcast. You can have a quick look at it and kind of while you're doing the rest of this and listening to the podcast. Thank you again for listening. Thank you everybody at home. We're looking forward to seeing you again next week. And if you want to know more about Austin and Cody, check out the show notes. Talk to you guys soon. Goodbye.